All right. How many of you are ready for the word of the Lord this morning? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 91. If you don't have a Bible, look to the person next to you who does and or grab theirs out of their hand and say, here, I want to read that, okay? <clears throat> psalm 91, because I want to talk to you this morning about this psalm as a psalm of spiritual warfare. If I use the phrase spiritual warfare, who says, I know what you're talking about? Let me see your hand, all right? So I only have three groups of people that I'm talking to today. I'm talking just to those who have just come out of a battle or to those who are right in the middle of a battle or those who are about to face a battle soon. Now, who have I hit so far? Have I, have I left anybody out? I shouldn't have left anybody out. That should affect all of us. <clears throat> I know we all found it, uh, have found it deeply troubling when we have seen people in ministry have what we call in this country a fall from grace. Most often it is a moral failure. Sometimes it may be a financial failure. It could possibly be something else. And I just want to say this. Anytime we hear of that taking place, our first thought should be <clears throat> about our own sin. We tend to, there's something within us as humans, we tend to look upon someone else and we see they've had a fall. And I, we hate to admit this and we wouldn't say it out loud, but we say, well, at least I've not done that. And we compare ourselves. I'll have more to say about that in just a minute. But when we hear that someone has fallen, it ought to direct our first thought to remember our own sin and the phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. Can I get an amen to that this morning? I remember in my earlier days of ministry, we seemed to walk through a season of well-known, even national, internationally known ministries, one by one being disgraced by their actions and behavior, and it certainly shook the church of the Lord Jesus. And not only were we hearing of um, the well-known pastors and evangelists, but then there were some that took place in local churches and some that Becky and I knew personally. And I remember when this was taking place and how heartbreaking it would be and how uh, some of them were absolutely devastating, people that we had known and, and been involved in ministry with. And remember calling out to God saying, God, is there a safe place because you, you tend to think there's not when you hear of that, of that happening. And then, God, how can I think I can be any better? And I remember even as I wrestled my own spirit, I remember running into the passage from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians where he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Because no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Oh, come on, church. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the, but with the temptation, He will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Can someone say bless the Lord for that this morning? All right, with your Bibles open, let's look now at our text in Psalm 91. It's familiar to you. The choir has sung it for years. We've had it in different kinds of songs. I remember a chorus we sang uh, years ago here at Bethesda that incorporated these words in this psalm. Psalm 91, starting with verse 1, it says, it says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word today. We're going to go through more verses in just a moment. <clears throat> the word for dwell in the Hebrew is yashab, yashab, and it means to claim, it means to take up residence, to defend in order to regain property. That word yashab, it is the cry of the believer who says this, the secret place is my place. Can I just ask, is there anyone in the house who's thankful that there is a secret place in God for you today? Under the shadow of the Almighty is my safe place. Being close to Him is the place that no one can steal from me, bless the Lord. And in that place, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, and the one who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And the psalmist says that when I'm dwelling in that safe place, 
verse 3, he says, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now, this word for snare in the Hebrew is mokesh. Can you say that with me? Mokesh. It looks like mokesh, but it's like a long A sound, mokesh. It's the same word for snare. It's the same word for trap. And the fowler was essentially the bird catcher. Bird catchers were experts at identifying uh, the lures that would attract birds of high price, the eagles and such. And the bird catcher would carefully craft a snare that was specifically Uh, specifically attractive to his prey, custom designed, if you will, for the the fowler knew how to do that, have just the right trap that was appealing to whoever it is he was going for. It was attractive to the nature of his prey, attractive to that prey's appetites, its seasons and its needs, its weaknesses, it's attractive to its surroundings, attractive to its longings. And this makes it clear to us this morning that this speaks of the reality of warfare. Because church, we have this morning over every one of our heads and our hearts and our lives, over every one of us, hanging over us are two destinies. There is the Savior's destiny and there is a satanic destiny of the enemy who wants to come in like a flood and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And the enemy in different seasons of your life will lay every day of your life a custom-fit, custom-designed trap, whether you are in your teens or whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 80s, whatever it is, there is a trap that is custom-designed for that season of your life. Every season, he will custom-fit a trap. Here's why, because you are different in each of your seasons. I am different in each of my seasons. If you don't believe me, just look back at old pictures of your hairstyles. Hello. I ought to know. Gentlemen, you'll find yourself in polyester pantsuits and bell bottoms. Hallelujah. Ladies, you'll have on big shoulder pads and big Texas hair, right? Am I right? We're different in different seasons of our lives. Different things attract us. Things that attract you or lure you in one season are, are not that much of an attraction to you in other seasons of your life. And guess what, church? The enemy knows that. He knows that. And therefore, the trap or the snare that he custom designs for you when you are 18 years old is not the same one that he will design and and, and lay for you when you're 58 years old, because your temptations in life change with the seasons of your life. The enemy of our souls is a master at mokesh. He's a master at setting traps for us. They are always Always, they are always traps that are relevant to the season of your life in which you find yourself currently. So now to fully grasp Psalm 91, you also have to read Psalm 90, which we know is written by Moses. Most Bible commentators will agree that Psalm 90 and 91 are designed to be read together, designed to go together. What's particularly significant about this is that Psalm 90 written, was written by a man, Moses, who fell into traps, a man who fell into a trap at the beginning of his life that robbed him of years, and, and in his case, the burning anger sent him into a desert. But by the grace of God, God pulled him out of the desert and brought him back to life. Is there anybody in the house today who can say, by the grace of God, he has brought me out of the desert and brought me back to life? But at the end of his life, he faced yet another trap that robbed him of the promised land. And when you look at Psalm 90, and I just want to take a quick uh, skipping glance through there. Psalm 90, which Moses wrote, it begins with these words. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Another song the choir sings. It's the, same, uh, it's the same theme, talking about a refuge and a dwelling place. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 8, you have set our iniquities, bef- you have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins, our, our secrets you have set before you in the light of your countenance. Verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, you might make it to 80. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses 
the man who at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life fell into traps, inspired by the Spirit of God, is saying to us by giving us this psalm, he's saying to every believer today, possibly waking you up, here's what he's telling his church, the fight is on. And as long as you breathe, as long as there is a heart beating in your chest, guess what? The fight is on. How many know I'm telling you the truth today? Therefore, and I'm sounding a word of warning today, Therefore, you have to be found in the secret place, in the close place of the Most High. You, you are foolish if you think you can just waltz through this world, go through day after day after day, and there's not a specific attack designed for you. Someone in my office this morning said it's been one attack after another, Pastor, one attack after another, and they're completely aware of it. But to think that you can just walk through and somehow brace yourself to go through whatever the enemy has for you. No, you have an obligation as a believer to stay, to be found in the secret place, in the close place of the Most High. So that your days will count, listen to me, so that you will protect the Word. What do I mean by that? So that you will protect your past testimony. That's why you're found in the secret place of the Most High, so that you will protect the present word that God has hanging over you at this very moment or that God is manifesting in you at this very moment. That's why you stay in the secret place of the Most High, and you are to protect any future word that might come to you for that which God has called and designed you to be. My God, teach us to protect your word and the work of your hands as we stay in your refuge. Can you say amen to that today? Now, Psalm 91 uses what we refer to as spiritual, or excuse me, as symbolic language to bring spiritual light. Symbolic language to bring spiritual light. It is, it, it's, it's, um, it's poetic language which becomes prophetic and then preventative. It's poetic language that is being used. You must understand that when you read this. Poetic language which becomes prophetic and then preventative. He uses poetic imagery for the purposes of becoming, becoming prophetic. And in one verse that we're going to really unpack this morning in the next few minutes, in one verse the psalmist unveils four traps of the fowler. If this may be a sermon, if you've never had it, you may want to get a pencil and a piece of paper because I'm going to give you some information that I hope is really going to help you today. Four traps of the fowler. And he says, God will deliver me from every trap or every snare of the fowler. In verse 13, that's the one verse of Psalm 91, we see this unveiling of these traps. And I'm going to give them to you in just a moment and what they're designed for. We see the unveiling of these traps that are there for us to identify. And, and because here's the thing, we need to know what's happening to us. We need to know what's, we need to number our days. We need to understand what's happening to us, particularly when we think we don't understand. Paul says in Corinthians, we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices that he, lest he would take advantage. And so here's what I'm declaring this morning. If you're listening under the sound of my voice, I declare this morning by the grace of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I declare a morning of revelation to Bethesda. I declare a morning of clarity to us, a morning a morning where the scales will fall off of our eyes, a morning where we will not ignore or be ignorant of the enemy's devices, but rather we will come to acknowledge our enemy, recognizing him, identifying him, and overcoming him in the name of Jesus. Here it is, Psalm 91, 13. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the, depending upon which verse, version, adder, some versions say cobra, some say viper. We're going to have to pick one. I'm probably going to go with viper. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the viper. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. There's the four. There are, there are four traps of the enemy today that are still real for us in 2018. This is poetic language that is prophetic and preventative. It is symbolic language that brings spiritual light. Here's what it is. The viper represents the sudden trap that attacks God's promises in our lives. It is the sudden attack. I'm going to unpack that in a moment. That represents, that attacks God's promises in our life. The lion is a satanic trap that attacks God's plans 
and purposes in our lives. It's the satanic trap the lion is that attacks God's plans and purposes in our lives. The young lion, which we see here in Psalm 91, is the seemingly small trap which attacks the purity of God in our lives. And lastly, the dragon is the silent trap which attacks the peace of God in our lives. Now, I'm going to go through all of those individually in just a moment. Let me start with the viper. The viper is the sudden trap. You didn't see the viper one second before. Not once. You had absolutely not a word of warning, not a bit of warning. Came out of nowhere. It just comes out, it attacks, it bites, and the poison begins to spread through your body. And in the imagery of Psalm 91, the psalmist refers to it in verse 5 as the arrow that flies by day. Zap! You're walking at noonday, you're walking down the street, minding your own business, whistling as you take down, uh, as you're walking down the street, having a happy day, and wham! Hits you. There's an arrow that strikes you. It comes out of nowhere. It's like a sniper that strikes you from nowhere. It's the sudden thing. It can become a huge trap in our lives. By the way, the name of this, the uh, title of this message this morning is one word, traps. It's that tragedy. A, a, a day before, an hour before, a second before, you didn't know about it. You're walking with God and something hits you. And when it does, it takes your breath away and it shakes you to the core of your being. It's that doctor who looks at you and says, reading your chart, and says, it's cancer. It's that boss who says, I need to see you in my office. We're having to cut back significantly, and I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. Suddenly, it's that student who's been working so hard and waiting for the results of the exam that they took and that would allow them to get into a, a certain college or, 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 or a special school, and the bomb is dropped. Guess what? You're not going to make it. Your grade wasn't good enough. You failed. Your grade is just simply not sufficient. Bam! It's that spouse who walks into the house and says, I don't love you anymore. You didn't see it coming. It's that son or that daughter that you don't even recognize anymore. What is, how it has happened to my child? All I see suddenly is this hardness and this coldness toward me and, and certainly toward the Lord and His church. And I can't even fathom how we got to this point. The sudden strike of the viper. It's that sudden accident that demolishes your car and brings damage to your body. It's your business when, when that great deal that was supposed to fix everything and was supposed to bring breakthrough, but rather it exploded in your face. Suddenly it just happened. It's that ministry that you were so sure that God was in it and He called you to and, and so absolutely confident you were supposed to do that. But the news you just received looks like it's the end. It's that person in your life whom you've loved and cared for that suddenly passes away unexpectedly. You didn't see it an hour before. You didn't see it a minute before. Suddenly passes away and it leaves you in, in an unspeakable place of grief. It's that viper that appears to rob you of the promises of God in your life. And church, let's be honest about it this morning. It is in those moments that the enemy seems to have a capacity and an ability to erase God's promises in our lives. It feels that way, does it not? But I want you to look at what the psalmist gives us in four verses. I'm still in Psalm 91, but I'm now going to look at verses 14, 15, and 16, and I'm going to show you what to do when the, when the attack comes. How many want to hear that? Here's what it says in verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Verse 15. He shall call upon... All the answers are here. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And verse 16. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. When you look at that word uh, in the Hebrew, when you, I will show him my glorious works. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my glorious works or my salvation. This 
is how we overcome the viper when sudden, the sudden thing comes unexpectedly. Now, let me give you a list of things that you should not do. Here's what you don't do. Number one, don't go crazy when the attack comes. Don't relinquish your convictions when the sudden attack comes. Don't give up on that. Don't start acting up or acting out. Don't resort to the things of your old life that you used to use to self-medicate to feel better. You don't do that. Can I get a witness this morning? But rather, the three verses we just read, 14, 15, and 16, it gives us clear instruction. Here's what it says we are to do. Number one, stay close. Say that with me. That's what you do. Number two, call on God. Say it. Number three, you cultivate the heart of a conqueror. Say it. What's number one? What's number two? What's number three? You're cheating. I didn't see you had it up on the screen. I thought you were listening all that time. Now I'm attaching each one of those to one of these verses. 14, 15, 16. Stay with me. 14, because he has set his love, I'm talking about you, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. In the Hebrew, the implication is that when you set your love upon God, hear me, hear me, you are setting your gaze upon him. He is filling your vision. Be thou my vision, the the old hymn says. He is filling your vision. You are setting your gaze upon him, which you can only do when you are staying close. Hello. Let me tell you, the picture came to my mind. We've all watched with bated breath in the last few days as that young soccer team and their coach were in the cave, and they were trying to get out, and there was not even any assurance that they were abs- that they were going to get out at all. Here's the picture that we see from Scripture this morning, and it makes me think of that. It's, it's the picture of someone, some, someone saying, stay close, hang on, stay close, hang on, stay close, hang on. Because here's what we just witnessed before our eyes. They had a deliverer that got, found his way into that dark cave, found those young boys one by one, who we are told most of them, or at least many of them, could not even swim, had no ability to get out on their own, and they tethered them to somebody, to the person who was delivering them, and he said, stay close, stay close, stay close, and guess what? I will get you out of this dark cave. That's the picture. Stay close. Stay close. Don't cut off the power supply. Don't cut off the oxygen. Don't begin to withdraw. Don't withdraw from his glorious church. It's the worst thing. It's the dumbest thing you could do. Just to be honest about it. And it happens in that season when all of your flesh, everything within you is screaming, why? I was just minding my own business, walking down the street, and that arrow, bang, hit me. It's that sudden attack. It's the viper attack. Why? 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 Can I just give you a clue, believer? Believer in Jesus today, one who's committed your life to the work of God and the purposes of God, the next time the word why emerges from your soul and you hear it come out of your mouth, that is your signal that you need to stay close. You're not hearing me this morning. My eyes are on him. He is filling my gaze. And the why may be coming out of my soul this morning, but I'm making a decision because I know what to do in that moment. That's the moment I stay close. I stay close because my deliverer is going to get me out of here. You can call on men. You can call on friends. You can call on people to pray for you. But how many of you have realized by now that man has his limitations? But you have to call on the one who is limitless. Hallelujah the one who has no shortage of power, the one that we call the Alpha and the Omega. Somebody say hallelujah. That's why this morning God is saying to you, particularly if you've had the sudden attack, stay close. 
That's what we hear, what we we read from the 14th verse of Psalm 91. Stay close through the smoke and the fire. Whatever it is that's clouding your vision that you're not even sure how to walk or where to walk, stay close. Stay close to the muddy waters that you're being pulled through, and he will get you out of here. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 15. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. And you may say to me this morning, Pastor Dan, I don't even, I don't even have, I, I've been so shaken to the core of my being. I don't, I don't even have the strength to call on God. I don't even, not sure I even know what to pray. I don't have it. It's not there. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Hannah. And that same picture applies right here. The Bible says in 1 Samuel that she was sitting in church. And if you had been sitting right next to her, here's the image we get from it. If you had been sitting right next to her in church, even though her lips were moving, you could not have heard one word that she said even though you were right next to her because there was no sound coming out so much so that the priest Eli thought she was even drunk. She was just simply calling upon God and her lips were moving, but no, no, no sound at all. Maybe you're here this morning and that describes you. You don't even have the strength to call on God. You don't even know what to say. But I want you to know something here this morning. And this is the beautiful thing we see from that. When Hannah was in church praying silently, With only her lips moving, not another person sitting around her or near her could hear one word that she was saying. But even though you might not have been able to hear one word she was saying, as she was calling on God, all of heaven heard her cry. And when they did, all of heaven was mobilized to bring her out of her barrenness in overwhelming blessing and breakthrough. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She received more than she thought ever thought she could have imagined in Samuel. Folks, when we know not what to pray, and we've all faced those moments. Oh, my God, we faced them. When we know not what to pray, we have the assurance that the blessed Holy Spirit who dwells within maketh intercession through us with groanings, with groanings that cannot be uttered. You haven't lived until you've known what it is that all you can do is groan in the Spirit. Who knows what I'm talking about? Am I the only one here? Oh, God. Oh, 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 God. When you have faced that moment, you'll understand what it is to be grateful for the Holy Spirit that makes intercession for you with those groans that all of heaven responds to. Number one, you stay close. Number two, you call on God. Those of you who are parents have had the experience of putting your kids to bed at night. Uh, we, were, we were very, very fortunate in that regard. used to even make some of our friends angry because our kids went to bed easily. I hear of parents, it's a two- or three-hour battle every night and all kinds of stuff that goes on. <clears throat> that was not our story. We were very blessed. Literally, our daughter could be in the living room with us or in the den or wherever, and she could be in the middle of a sentence and sleep would come on her and she would drop to the floor in the middle of a sentence. We just picked her up and put her in the bed, and that's all we did. How many of you are really mad at me for, you for even telling you that? That's all we did. And to be honest, <laughs> she's still pretty much that way. When they were here for our 40th uh, anniversary just a few weeks ago, it was 8 o'clock at night, and I said to Becky, where's Sheridan? She's gone to bed. She's already gone to bed. When she gets tired, it's over. When it's over, it's over. And that was, that was true for most nights, but there certainly were those nights when there was a certain fear or apprehension that had come over her in the course of her day somehow. And you all know what that is. When, you're, when your child is, you're trying to put them to bed and they're afraid or something's troubling them. And she had those nights too. You put them to bed and so what do you do? You, you sing all the songs, right? And you stick your hand through the slats of the, of the little crib and, you, and they're a little toddler and you're patting them on the, on the back and you're tickling their cheek or tickling their neck or something, you know, and you sing, bye, oh baby, bunting. You, you sing all the songs and, and then what you do is little by little, you, you, you get softer and 
softer and a little less padding, and you see that their breathing's getting heavier, and you're going, I hope, I hope, I hope. And so then you start to back away. You pull your hand out of the slab of the bed. You start to back. You look to be sure you're not going to step on a toy that's going to squeak or hurt when you step on it. You get about four steps back, and this is what I would hear. Where are you going, Daddy? <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? Here's what I want to encourage you with today, friend. <laughs> there will never come a day when you have to say to God, where are you going, Daddy? He is there because He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is Abba Father, and He holds you in His arms today. And so I just want to remind you, when the viper strikes, it's that sudden strike. What do you do? You stay close. You call on God. And number three, you cultivate a conquering heart. Let me review 15. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Then 16. With long life. Now, now, now get all this with me here. With long life. I will satisfy him, and I will show him my salvation, my glorious works. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my glorious works. Church, the plan and purpose of God is never for you to just barely make it. The plan and purpose of God is not for you just to make it out, of, out alive. It is not just for survival. When he says in his word, I will deliver you and I will honor you and with long life, I'm not only going to do all of that, I want to satisfy you. And not only do I want to satisfy you, I want to show you my glorious works. Does that say to you that God's not interested in your deliverance? It ought to say absolutely. He's not there just for you to barely make it. God always has his sight on pulling you out for conquest. He always has his sight on pulling you out for victory. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Some of you will remember, he brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today, and it's a song of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Point number two. <laughs> Lunch is coming soon, so just relax. In our Psalm 91, <clears throat> verse 13, tells us that we will tread upon the lion. I know the other one's mentioned. This is mentioned first. The lion. The lion is the satanic trap. And Scripture says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's the, the satanic trap. Attack. He's attacking God's plans and purposes in our lives. In Psalm 91, verse 7, we, we see this. Same psalm, different part of it. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Somebody ought to take comfort in that today. Why? Because you have made the Lord your refuge and your dwelling place. Now, again, hear me, this is figurative language. It's not a matter of 9,876 souls. We're not counting how many are fallen this side and that side. It's not, it's not about any number. It's figurative language. It's the reality of seeing those on your left and on your right who at one time were on fire for God, but they have drifted away and grown cold, and we've all seen it. And here's what the psalmist is confronting by telling us that in verse 7. He's confronting that spirit of unbelief, that spirit that says, well, everyone sins anyway. Marriages don't last anyway. Nobody stays together anyway. No men are pure anyway. No, 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 no. He's saying there may be a 1,000 here and there may be 10,000 here, but guess what? I have a people in this earth who are rising up. There's an army rising up, Jovan. I have a people in this earth that are rising up who are transcending the sin that is around them on their right and on their left because they are a people who know that where sin abounds, God's grace much more abounds. And they are living proof of not only my saving, but my keeping power. Speaking of the enemy, let me jump to another. As a lion, let me jump to another psalm. Don't go there. Psalm 10. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. 
He lies in wait to catch the poor. And when I click on that word poor and it blows up and lets me see it, all the other transliteration and all the Hebrew, it's really that means vulnerable. He lies in wait to catch the vulnerable, the one who is weak, who is vulnerable, who is weak. And couldn't that be said of all of us, at least at some time? Because here's the truth for us. In some seasons of our lives, we find ourselves in the camp of the strong. Thank God for that. But in some seasons of our lives, we find ourselves in the camp of the vulnerable. Am I telling you the truth today? And so there's no room or place for judgment whereby any of us can say, well, I'm strong and, and you're weak. No, 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 no. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that when you are strong, you're supposed to support the weak. There is that sense of what's being said to us, let him that stands, let him who is strong today be very, very careful. Let him be humble. Let him be in prayer. Let him be alert lest he falls because we are all capable of being vulnerable to the attack of the lion. Sometimes it's fatigue. Sometimes it's just sheer physical exhaustion or mental exhaustion or, or spiritual exhaustion. Sometimes you're just running so hard, hello, that it is brought on a weakness. There is a, you, you've been involved in several projects. You've had uh, extra duty at work. You've had all kinds of things taking, zapping every bit of strength you have. And there's a strength that has come out of you, but you've not been able to be renewed and it brings a vulnerability to the lioness attack, the lion's attack. Sometimes, church, it's a succession of trials, one after another, succession of trials, one after another, after another, after another. It may be a season of hard knocks, and we all know what that is. It could be a perfect storm that just keeps hitting you spiritually and with, with no time to recoup or, or understand or, or process whatsoever. It could be extreme busyness that has made, brought you to a place of vulnerability. Busyness can make us very vulnerable to the trap of the lion. And you're not taking time because the demands of your time are such, you're not taking time to feed your own soul because you, you just don't have the time to do that so you perceive it to be, and therefore your spirit is starving. When that happens, you are making yourself vulnerable to the attack of the lion. Who knows I'm telling you the truth today? Sometimes it can be an offense that you're carrying. Somebody has said something or done something that has so greatly offended you. And when you have a deep wound within that has not been properly dealt with, it makes you vulnerable to the lion. And guess what? Sometimes it's even a, a season of success and prosperity that makes you vulnerable. What do you mean? Haven't we seen it? A guy starts off in business and he's at every prayer meeting calling on God, oh, God, if you don't help me, I'm not going to make it. I need you every hour of every day. Please don't abandon me now trying to get this thing off the ground. Please help me, oh, God. And he's here, and he's faithful, and he's calling on God. And then he gets one contract after another. God does bless him, one contract after another. And then five employees becomes 10, 10 becomes 30, 30 becomes 50, and suddenly he knows how to do it. And he thinks he's sailing, and he doesn't even realize he has put himself in an extremely vulnerable position. That's what happens with the attack of the lion. And then one of the revelations of Psalm 91 is that though we have to tread on the viper and on the lion, please understand that the devouring lion of evil and sin that blinds us and destroys us often comes in the form of a young lion, a young lion, a seemingly small trap. It attacks the purity of God in our lives. Psalm 17 says, the enemy come against, comes against me as a lion is eager to tear his prey and like a young lion lurking in secret places. The young lion represents those things, hear me, that you may know, oh, that's, that's not good. It's not a, probably a good thing for you to partake in, a good place for you to be. It's, it's, you know, but, you know, it's not, it's really not so bad. Is it really? I mean, compared to, it's really not that bad. 
And all of us have all, always have someone we can compare ourselves to. And if you notice, when we do it, when that comparison, it is to our advantage. Yes? He that compares himself consoles himself. He that compares himself consoles himself. I'm not as bad. At least I'm not as bad as him. Well, I didn't do what she did. That's in us, folks. And the trap of the young lion is something that you think you can play with. You know, it's, I, I, I can handle, I can handle this. I, I got this. It's not great, but I'm okay. I can, I can quit any time. And besides that, those young lions, they are so cute, aren't they? They're just so cute. Are you getting this this morning? How many of you remember, um, I'm not sure remember the names, two guys who had a show in Las Vegas. I didn't, never went. Las Vegas with lions and tigers, and they treat them like pets. Siegfried and somebody else. So you've been there and seen their show. <laughs> okay, those guys. And they, you know, they put their arms around them. They frolicked with them. And it was just so joyous until the day came when one of those young lions grabbed the one guy, I don't remember which one, bit him in the neck and dragged him across the stage, ending that man's career. And the psalmist is telling us that, uh, hear me, that the big lion of evil, the obvious sin of adultery, the abhorrent sin of idolatry, the lion of evil that kills you and destroys everything, we would discern that. We would see that and go, oh, mm. we would see that. But the trap he may have set for you in this season of your life that is custom fit, custom designed for you right now, he may, have, he may be coming to you in the form of a young lion. Isn't he cute? Look how cute he is. I can pet him. Oh, he's soft. Something that looks so small, something you think you can handle, it's that, it's that thing that, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's not so bad, is it really? And I'm, as I'm speaking to you today, church, I'm asking God to make this a protective, prophetic word to someone in this house who is toying with a young lion. And may the Spirit of God, with cloven tongues of fire, come upon each of us today, whereby we might say, oh my God, this is much more serious than I've realized, and I stop it now in Jesus' name while I can. Solomon knew about this. Solomon was, at one point in his life, the wisest man on earth. Sol Solomon got this amazing offer from heaven where it was said to him, ask me whatever you want and I will grant it to you. How wonderful. And Solomon in his wisdom said, Lord, I want to have a listening heart. How wise? Because if you ask for a listening heart, you'll have everything else. In his early years, he was so careful. And then as he grew in years, he started to play with the young lions. And he finished as a completely bound man. He wrote in his latter days in the book of Ecclesiastes where he speaks of the small things, again with poetic imagery but with powerful instruction. In Ecclesiastes 10, he says this, dead flies putrefy the, perf the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Let me illustrate it to you this way. I'm going to wind up in a minute. Just give me just five more minutes. Let's say you're going to take your wife out for a lovely meal. You, you want to do that for a while and, and you, know, you save some extra money. It's going to be something really, really nice. It's a fancy restaurant and they bring the first course. And it's a big bowl of some kind of exotic soup. And the aroma starts wafting your way as the waiter's bringing it to your table. And they place it down and you look down in your bowl and you see a fly Flipped over doing the backstroke in your bowl of soup. And you call the waiter over and you say, Sir, uh, <laughs> do, you not, do you see what's in my soup? And he says, Well, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, just that, well, it's, just, uh, it, it's just that little fly. Small, and it's just on that one, it's a big bowl of soup. Such a large soup bowl and such a small fly. What is the problem? 
There's lots of other areas from this. In fact, look, he's making his way over to the edge. You can eat all of this over here. All, all of these other areas from which he can eat. How many of you agree with me, one small fly is enough to ruin the whole soup bowl? Sila. But understand that what has happened right before our eyes to some of the greatest men of God of our time, they have giftings and anointings and the call of God is evident upon them and the fruit of their labor is evident, but one fly in one secret area of their heart comes and consumes the whole thing. And some would say, didn't they ask for forgiveness? Yes, and they can be forgiven in an instant of time, but their testimony, they didn't protect the word, their testimony, the name of Christ is defamed. But I say, my God, let us tread upon the young lion. I'm not messing with it. So the psalmist is showing us these four traps. By the grace of God, I will stay close in the secret place. I will tread upon the viper, that sudden trap that attacks God's promise in my life. I'm going to stay close to him. I'm going to call on him. I'm going to cultivate the spirit of a conqueror. I will walk upon the lion, the satanic trap that attacks God's purposes in my life, that, that disguises itself as a young lion, a seemingly small trap. And lastly, this is very quick, the dragon, which is the silent trap that attacks the peace of God in your life. The dragon is the imaginary. And the image is so powerful. He calls it the terror by night. He calls it the destruction that comes in the darkness, and it becomes the obsession that destroys your whole day. It's you or me lying in bed at night, and how many of you know those arrows can fly at night when you're trying to sleep? It's the fears that come upon us that somehow are, are, are able to amplify and, and, and to anticipate the worst possible scenario for your son, for your daughter, for your marriage, for your job, for your future. It's a dragon. It's not real. It's an imagination. It's a battle strictly in the mind. And that's why Paul will teach the Romans and ultimately teach us that if you want to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, you have to learn to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the only way you can discern that which is good and the perfect will of God. And the battle is the battle and the choices of the mind. And Paul says that's why he gives us this instruction that when you get dressed every morning, don't you dare go out without being dressed with the mind of Christ. Lord God, I'm asking you to help me today to let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. And I bring my thoughts unto the submission of Christ for this day. And Jeremiah was surrounded with people who were in the bitter grasp of the dragon with thoughts of despair and the worst unbelief possible. Lamentations 3 gives us this. He says, when I remember my affliction, the poison was bitter in my soul. When my mind repeated and remembered my torment, my soul sank within me and I was hopeless. But this, this, this is what I choose to remind myself. This is what I choose to believe. This is what I choose to rekindle in my spirit. It's this, that the mercies of God have not come to an end. No, no, no. They are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness. That is what I will dwell on. That is what I will think on, and that is how I will overcome. Ask the Lord to push back the dragon by the renewing of your mind. I want you to bow your heads quickly for just one moment. I'm bringing the service to a close. This morning I'm doing a fourfold invitation. I'm simply asking you to stand for prayer where you are. And I want you to respond simply because we're just going to pray for you. There's no shame, there's no judgment, and there's nothing like that. I'm going to review them quickly, and if any of these have been a trap set for you, I want you to stand so we can pray. If you identify with any one of them, just stand where you are. We'll have a word of prayer for overcoming the enemy. If you've experienced the sudden attack of the viper, which is brought on attacks suddenly, the, uh, attacking the promises of God in your life. Please stand. The sudden attack came out of nowhere. And you had no warning whatsoever. 
All right, if you know you've had the satanic trap of the lion, which has attacked God's plans and purposes in your life, please stand. You've been made vulnerable by fatigue or exhaustion or the busyness of your life has left you without the ability to feed your soul or maybe an offense you're carrying has left you vulnerable. You know you've been made vulnerable to the trap of the lion. If that's you, please stand all across the room. If you need to be honest enough to say that you've been toying with the trap of the young lion, it seems so small and harmless, no big deal, not that big of a problem, but today you want to stop it before it overtakes you. Would you please stand? You recognize that the seemingly small trap of the young lion is attacking the purity of God in your life. If that's you, please stand. And finally, if you know that the trap that Satan has crafted for you is the silent trap the dragon, which is attacking the peace of God in your life. And you are ready this morning to cast down imaginations and bring every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. I'm asking you to please stand, if that's you. Whoever you are, wherever you are. Now let's lift our hands before the Lord. Lord, we know that you have not left us in a state where we have to be vulnerable, but that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We are completely aware, and that's why we preach this today, that we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. He is just as much alive today in 2018 as ever, if not more so. And he's setting traps left and right, custom fit, custom design for the season where we are right now today. So in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I pray, O oh God, you bring deliverance in the name of Jesus. You will set us free because we're going to stay close to you, tethered to you. Stay close, stay close, even as we call on your name. Say, oh, God, help me in this situation. We recognize your authority and your power. And as we declare, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against me can prosper because I am in Christ. And so, Lord, we are dwelling in you in the secret place of the Most High God, under the shadow of the Almighty. It is the safest place for us to be. So, Lord, we renew that commitment to stay close to you under the shadow of the Almighty as we claim your protection over our lives, your protection from the enemy over our lives. And we say it in the name of Jesus. And if you agree with that, shout your loudest hallelujah.